Hi, this is Mark Rabin from Kinexus. This is episode five of our podcast series where we are presenting webinars from our archive library. This webinar features Norman Bodek. It was presented May 12, 2015. It's titled, How Personal Growth Plans Support Continuous Improvement. So if you'd like to see uh, the slides uh, together with audio synced or just look at the slides separately, go to kinexus.com webinars and click on the webinar library link. And if you would like to subscribe to the podcast series, you can do so now at a page that we have set up, kinexus.com slash podcast. And uh, before I hand things over, let me just uh, introduce Norman to a lot of people in the lean world. He, he needs no introduction, but for uh, some of you, he may be a new name and a new face. So I want to tell you about uh, Norman and, and what he's contributed, or at least tell you a little bit about what he's contributed um, to the world of, of lean and Kaizen and new topics, including something he's going to talk about today called the Harada Method. Um, as, as I mentioned, Norman has been a great friend and mentor uh, to me for, for more than 10 years now. Um, he, I had a chance to train directly with Norman on uh, what he calls quick and easy Kaizen. Um, Norman introduced me and Joe Schwartz, which years later led to us um, writing our books together. So I'll be um, forever thankful uh, to Norman for everything he's done for me. But going back to his background, uh, in 1979, Norman started a company called Productivity Inc. He published a newsletter called Productivity, and he became fascinated with the subject of manufacturing and went to Japan to discover the processes and methods that was making Japan uh, the world leaders in quality improvement and productivity growth. Uh, Norman uh, published um, translations of, of books by um, some of the, the creators and originators of the Toyota production system, uh, Taiichi Ono, Shigeo Shingo, and Norman then started writing books of his own. So he's written a number of books, including The Idea Generator, Quick and Easy Kaizen, How to Do Kaizen, um, Kaikaku, The Power and Magic of Lean. He's also written uh, books, including uh, The Rebirth of American Industry, a book, All You Gotta Do is Ask, and most recently, The Harada Method, co-authored with Takeshi Harada. So with that, I will hand things over to Norman. Thanks so much for being here today. I thank you. I thank you, Mark. I thank you, everybody, for being here. And I hope this will be a lot of fun for you. Um, I'm very excited about the topic. And I'm going to tell you three stories. Um, if you can all see the slide, how, to, how personal development plans support continuous improvement. The first thing is to ask yourself, what personal development plan do you have? And I recommend that if you don't have one, you start today and you get a very clear one. We'll talk a little bit about this when we go into the Harada Method, is where you pick a goal. You pick a very strong goal for you to develop yourself to your fullest capability. I want you to look at yourself to become the best you, the best you in every possible way. And that's what we're going to talk about today. I go to Japan very often. I've been there 85 times. I was there in March. I led a study mission with 22 executives. It was a lot of fun. And every time I go, I love these pastries. They do something magical 
that we don't do out here in Portland, Oregon. I can't find this anywhere. These are delicious. These are wonderful. And if you could make these, just put this into your head. If you can make these pastries the way they are, you don't need anything else in life. That's the secret. If you, if you want to develop personal development plans, what do you want to be? What do you want to become the best in the world at? Don't shortchange yourself. Become the best at something. Doesn't matter what. Something that people need. Okay. Do you have a goal? I don't know about you, but I went through, let's see, I went through 12, 13, 17, 18, 19 years of school really without a goal. A teacher never asked me to get a goal. No, I mean, I did things. My parents wanted me to go to college. And then the Korean War came along, and that was a high motivation for me to stay in college. But I never had a clear goal. I, came, I took accounting because that was an easy way. My father was an accountant. But I'm very lucky because I left it after two years. Didn't really like it at all. But you need a goal. Just visualize if you want to win a gold medal in something. You know, you're, you want to be an athlete. You want to win a gold medal. You need a goal. You need something very strong that's going to sustain your effort, that's going to move you forward through all the resistance, through all the obstacles that life gives us. So that's a real key, is to have a very strong goal, to develop some strong skill that you're going to be the best at. It's a shame that they don't do this in the school system. I mean, I teach college at Portland State University. Most of my students are seniors, and I just wonder how they got there. They spend a lot of money today. My grandson owes $100,000 in loans. I never owed anything when I graduated college. He owes all that money. He's lucky that he found something very strong. He's a really great autistic instructor. He's a guide for autistic children. He has something very strong. Um, I want you to consider that. Some strong goal is going to move you to success. Most people, when I ask them, what do you want to be, they said, I don't know. And you have to surrender that and stop that nonsense. I have six grandchildren. I would ask every one of them, what do you want to be? And they all say, I don't know. That's, that's just you know, a barrier for your success. Pick something. Okay, the key to this whole process is self-reliance. That's a very powerful, two, one word, I guess, self-reliance. One strong, two words or one word, self-reliance. In fact, I don't know about you, but when I was younger in school, I had to read Walt Whitman, Emily Dickerson, Ralph Waldo Emerson, and I probably read some of their work. I can't remember it. But I didn't understand it all if I did read it. Lately, I picked up a book called, by Ralph Waldo Emerson called Self-Reliance. You can get it for free on the internet. I, just, I bought a copy, but you can go, it's out of copyright, and you can go to the internet, and I really highly recommend that you read it. Study it. It could be your guide to success. I'm reading now, and I'm underlining these marvelous sayings because it's all there. 
what an incredible genius this Ralph Waldo Emerson was. So I want to go through three stories. Oh, the first thing, in the promotion, they mentioned ninth waste. It's really the eighth waste. The eighth waste, you know, Ono came up with seven wastes, inventory, defects, you know, waiting, motion, etc. The eighth waste is the underutilization of people's talents. That, to me, is the biggest waste. We waste these human beings. If you ask a manager, what's your most important asset in the company, they all say people. But if you look at the balance sheet of a company, where, where do you find people? It's not there. You've got machines, you've got inventory, you've got debts, you've got cash, but you don't have the most valuable asset is people. And that's a fundamental mistake because if we put people on the balance sheet, then we'd invest more in you. But we don't do it today. You know, 10, 20 years ago, companies invested very heavily in lots of their people and educated them. And then they did, then did their best to make sure they stayed in the company. It's rare today, at least from my, you know, experience of meeting so many people. The company doesn't invest in them the way they should. So that you, you have to invest in yourself. Invest in yourself to become more self-reliant. Back in November, I was in Japan, and I visited JUICE. JUICE is the Japanese Union of Science and Engineers. That's the call of the organization, and they run the Deming Prize. And a friend of mine, Dr. Noriako Kano, been a friend of mine for many years, he's very famous. He wrote, put together what's called the Kano Model of Quality. And I went to see him. He was speaking at a conference. When I got there, a, a gentleman comes over to me from India. And he introduces himself to me. And he says, um, Norman, I'm the chairman of uh, TVS Motors in India. And I, without looking up, I said, you know, TVS was my first client 30 years ago. And he says, I know, Norman, I was your client. Well, I was so embarrassed, you know, by not recognizing him. And then within the next five minutes, he invited me to come to his company in Bangalore, India. It's a billion-dollar company. And I'm a, I was excited. I'll go to India, of course. But you have to send me business class. He says, fine. But you've got to send my wife. He says, fine. And we did. And I said, well, what do you want me to teach you? And he said, no, I don't want you to teach me anything. I just want you to observe us. Well, I've never done this before. This is a great honor for me to observe a billion-dollar corporation. And so I went there. And if you look at the slide on the top left, it's a beautiful the lawn, the building, the rooms, the offices, and the factory was beautiful, absolutely beautiful. What an amazing company. They won the Deming Prize. And I can understand why the Deming Prize for quality. But in my observation, I was able to help them because they were not as productive as they could be. And so I did give them a little advice, which I think paid for the trip. While there, the chairman of the company says, Norman, I want you to go out to a village, an Indian village. I didn't know why, but I went there about four hours outside of Bangalore. Now, if you know a little bit about India, 300 million people live in rural poverty. I just took one little picture show you those children in the garbage, the goat. That's not, not untypical. India is filled that way. 
there's such poverty. You know, I think poverty is like 50 cents a day. If you don't make 50 cents a day, you're, you're poverty. Poverty means that, you, you know, you don't have a house. You live in a hut. That means women are not educated. You can't, they don't have the money to invest in the woman. Only a man is given an education in these areas, primarily. They don't have toilets. They don't have running water. They don't handle sewage proper, properly. It's a real problem. Well, the chairman of TVS Motors, amazing man, his name is Vinu Srinivasan. And he started something called the Srinivasan uh, System Trust, SST, to help these people become self-reliant. So he went into a village that looked like the middle picture, believe me, and with a small group of people they gathered the woman, and most of these women couldn't even read or write. But they got them to pick a skill. Let me give you an example. There's so much weeds in the rural areas, the countryside. These weeds are prolific. Well, they taught the woman how to cut the weeds and make them into baskets. Cut those, cut those weeds and make them into seats of, of chairs. Make them into furniture. They got each person to become highly skilled in something. Some made bread. Do you know what I mean? Some learned how to milk the cows better. Some learned how to purify the water, etc. Some learned how to just make toilets. This was started 18 years ago, and I had the privilege of visiting the village on the left, and there was maybe 50 to 100 children and people that came out to greet me. They looked like Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts. They looked immaculate. They looked beautiful. The surroundings were wonderful. They showed me, they took me to their school. You can see the map up on the wall at their school. They showed me their paintings. They showed me the things they were writing. They showed me the little girls at the right showing me what they planted and what they, what they learned how to grow to survive in this world. This village was transformed through self-reliance. What's required when a woman, especially, because most of them are women, some men, true, but most are women, and they're taught a skill, and then they have to open a bank account. They're taught to work in self-help groups, to be self-reliant in these groups, and then they have to contribute some of their money back into the well-being of the group. This village had toilets. It had everything, all done by the power of self-reliance. They enticed me so much that I'm going to go back in December and January, and I'm going to write a book on what these villages have been doing. TVS, the president, Vinu, his foundation has now been into 2,500 villages. It's amazing what you can do without that much of an investment. I mean, government couldn't do what he's doing. The next story I'd like to tell you a little bit about is the Harada Method. And the title of the book, the subtitle of the book is The Spirit of Self-Reliance. I'm very excited about this concept of self-reliance. Now, what does this mean to you? What is self-reliance? We're not, you know, 
speaking back and forth to each other. We will, you know, you'll be able to ask me some questions or comments later. But the idea of self-reliance is that you can stand on your own two feet. The idea of self-reliance is that you are building a skill that you can be totally independent in this world, that you're going to be the best at something. Self-reliance means you're competent in what you do. Surely you're competent in your home life. You take care of yourself in every way, but you go to your work and you're not self-reliant. The boss tells you what to do and you do it. You don't have that essence of freedom at work that the way you should. My next example, I'll show you what a company in Japan has done with this spirit of self-reliance. Mr. Harada was a track and field coach at the worst junior high school in Osaka, Japan. Absolutely the worst. Out of 380 schools, his junior high school in track and field was the lowest and probably academic, it was the lowest. It was in the slums of Osaka. In fact, there were days that Mr. Osaka, Mr. Harada was afraid to go to school because it was so fearful. There were so much drugs and, and, and you know, filth and prostitution that existed around the schools. But he was determined that he was going to do it. And he studied. He studied the best people in the world. He studied people like John Wooden, Stephen Covey, etc. And three years after he implemented his Harada method, and it's not complicated, and I'll show you a little bit about it, 13 students won gold medals. They never won a gold medal before in this school. 13 won gold medals. That gold medal meant that they were the number one athletes in their athletic field, like shot put or running. They were the number one in their age group in all of Japan, not just in Osaka, but those 13 students were number one in all of Japan. Never happened before. And Mr. Harada became very, very famous. The school became number one in track and field. And academically, the school rose tremendously from this Harada method. Harada is now a consultant. He taught 60,000 people, at least. And he's written 17 books. And I'm so fortunate, a friend of mine, Shigehiro Nakamura, another great genius, introduced me to Mr. Harada. I ordered about, he wrote about 12 books back then. I ordered it. I was, four students were interning with me, and my wife is Japanese. And three of the four students can read Japanese. And we read all the books. And they taught me what was so important that this man was doing. I got so excited, I picked up a phone and called him. Now, he doesn't speak English, and I don't speak Japanese, but my wife was interpreting for us over the phone, and I said, Mr. Harada, I want to come to Japan, and I want to bring your work to the West. I want to bring your work to America, because that's what I've done with Shingo and Ono and about 60 other Japanese masters. That's been my job for the last 30-some-odd years, is to go to Japan and find the best management teachers and bring their work to America. And so I went to Japan and I met Mr. Harada. And it's, this is really funny because when I meet him, I say, Mr. Harada, I want to take one of these books of yours and translate it and publish it in English. And he said, no. And here I flew to Japan, spent a fortune because I only go business class and nobody paid for it this time except me. 
And he says, no. I said, what do you mean no? He says, I want to write a new one just for you. I said, gangbusters. And then I said something I should have said to Shingo and Ono 30 years ago. I said, Mr. Harada, can I co-author that book? Can I add to that book? Can I Americanize it? And he said, yes. And so that's what I did. I took his work, and then I put my examples and my understanding in, and then I've been teaching it at Portland State University, then I've been teaching it to industry. I now certify managers in the Harada Method. It's not a complicated concept. I teach this in a one-week course. In fact, I'm going to be running the course June 15th in Portland, so a week long to certify someone. Then I'm going to give you the five key steps in a few minutes that takes a week to teach. The reason it takes a week to teach because I not only teach you the concepts, but I want you to get up and be a teacher. I want you to get up and learn how to be a very powerful coach. So what you do is you pick a goal, a very strong goal. Now, if you can't pick a goal, I want you to sit down and write out 50 wonderful things about yourself and do it. 50 wonderful things. I mean, I'm, I was so happy when I learned to swim. That's one thing. I was so happy when I rode a bicycle. That's another thing. I was so happy when I could read a book because when I was younger, believe it or not, I couldn't read books. I only remember reading three books before I graduated high school. I was the dumbest student in class. I couldn't spell. I couldn't read. I couldn't write. It's a miracle the way, you know, what's happened in my life. And I'm sure that you can do so much more than me because you started so much further ahead of me. So you pick a very strong goal. You write out 50 things about yourself that you really are proud of, and then you narrow it down. Then take 10 of them and talk about it. Then take three of them and talk to your wife or your husband or your friends, your teachers, and try to come up with one where you could point your life direction. Now, if it's in coherence with your company, that's wonderful. And if you can develop within your own organization, that's great. But if you can't, pick something that you want to be wonderful at. Analyze your strengths and weaknesses. We ask you to do that. What were you great at? Because I want you to continue it. What are you weak at? Let's see if you can overcome them. Then you write 64 tasks. I know I'm doing this very fast, this short period of time. I want you to write 64 tasks. These are things that you think you have to do to attain your goal. The wonderful part of the Harada method is you're not told what the goal is. That means a boss doesn't come to you and say, I want you to do this. If he does, of course, you don't have any choice, but you pick your own goal. Now you list all the things that you want to do that you recognize you have to do to attain this goal. This is a little bit structured. It's not difficult. In my class, it only takes 33 minutes for people to write 64 tasks. And then you pick one. Every day, you have a task. Now, sure, you have your job to do. You have many things to do. But if you're going to attain your new goal, you have to pick one of these tasks. And then at the end of the day, you're going to monitor yourself. Did you do what you wanted to do? Well, often, we're, we're great procrastinators as human beings. We get all excited about something, and then we don't do it, because there's always resistance. Resistance. It's always there, the yin and yang in the world. Just recognize when you want to do something new and be creative that there's going to be this resistance. And you, what you say is just bug off. 
and you go forward. And you realize that nothing, nothing can stand in the way of your success if you're really determined, just like these athletes. The last thing you have to learn is how to become a coach or a mentor. You want to learn how to be coached. You have to have a coach. The reason I say you have to have a coach because you're going to get a great idea. You say you're going to do it. You don't do it. You need somebody that's going to stand there, not to scold you, not to criticize you, but somebody to say, Harry or Alice, you wanted to do this today. What stood in your way? Or let's see if you can do it tomorrow. I want you to be very positive as a coach. You no negativity in this whole process. Let's look at an example. About this Shohai Otani was a sophomore in high school, and he made the 64 chart. This is what one looks like. Now, in the center, it says draft number one of the eight teams. He said as a sophomore, I want to be drafted number one into one of the top eight baseball teams in Japan. That was his goal. Then he wrote down 64 tasks. If you notice, it's in eight separate areas. One area is physical, one is control, one is precision, one is mental, one person, personality, luck, speed, curveball. So he's a pitcher, and he wants to be picked in the major leagues as a pitcher. And he knows that the best Japanese pitcher can throw at 99 miles an hour, 160 kilometers. That's the best in Japan. That was his goal. And if you look, he wants to, he wants to uh, strengthen his body. He wants to improve his range of motion. He wants to be able to catch liner balls. He wants to turn at the pivot. So he wants to gain weight. He wrote this down around this speed. You notice at the right said speed, 160 kilometers. He wrote the, the eight things that he felt that he had to do to attain the 99 miles an hour. Well, two and a half years later, Otani was picked number one. He was the first one picked in the major leagues. He attained his goal. And he went out, I think his first year, he's 14 and three. This year, he's five and zero. He's won all five games. And he's already hit three home runs because he's very unusual as a player, not just a pitcher, but he also plays um, as a hitter. Now, of course, not everybody is going to be able to be picked uh, number one because he set a goal to do it. No, not everyone. But it's amazing what you can do when you go through this process. It's amazing the way you can uplift your life and actually have what you want. There are a few things in this world that you can't have, but so many things you can have. Otani also, this year, because he's doing so well, they ripped up his contract. They gave him $350,000. They ripped it up and they gave him a new contract for $1 million. Now, his ambition is to go to the American Baseball League. And I'm sure within about two years, you'll see Shohei Otani out there with the New York Yankees or something like that. Okay. The Rada method is basically five forms. 
five forms. Self-reliance is one. Now, how self-reliant are you? That's what this little test is. You, you take this sheet of paper, you'll see 33 words, and the word says honest. Well, how honest are you? If you think you're 100% honest, then put a 10 down. If you're not as honest as you'd like, then put a 9 or an 8 down. Score yourself on all these characteristics to see how self-reliant you are. Then I want you to go back after you score yourself is to indicate what you will do to become self-reliant. What can you do to be a 10 in each of these words? Now, if you'd like, I'm very happy to send you a copy of that test. In fact, Mark, you said you would do it. Mark will send everybody, has your email address, so Mark will send you a copy of those tests. The next form is called the goal setting sheet, and this is where you will fill out <clears throat> what your goal is, what your purpose is, what your strengths and weaknesses are, what are the obstacles standing in your way, how do you overcome these obstacles, and then you'll write on the right side, you'll see that open window 64, where you write your 64 tasks. Another form is a routine check sheet, because part of those tasks are really routines. A routine is something you're going to do every day. Every day. Task, some of the tasks is you'll do it, start, and then you'll complete it, and it's over with. But some routines you want to do every single day, and this is a little scorecard to see that you're doing it every single day. It is wonderful. And then you'll add up a score at the end of every day. How did you do on the routines you wanted to do? I mean, this process is a, a great process to lose weight. <laughs> this is a great process to give up drinking or smoking. It has a lot of the principles of AAA in here. The last form is a daily diary. Some of you keep a diary now or schedule now, but this diary is a little bit unique in that you'll schedule everything you do during the day, and then you'll go back and see, did I do what I wanted to do during this day and what the differences was? And if you had a chance to do this day over again, how would you do it? And so you'll put all the things that you have to do, and you'll put one of the tasks on there. Okay. I'm willing to send you all these forms. Look at my, if you stay in touch with me, I'm very happy to get you a copy of all the forms. You can take my email address at bodek at pcspress.com. Okay, I'm going very fast, I know, in a short period of time. So please excuse my speed. And you can always email me or call me and further the discussion with me. The third story is about Mirai Industries. I found this company about five years ago when I went on a study mission to Japan. I was very impressed with the company, impressed what they do for their employees. I was not that impressed, frankly, the way they looked. They didn't look as well as this company in India. Um, but this company professes to be the happiest company to work for in Japan. And I found that the president, Mr. Akio Yamada, wrote two books. And I got the copy of the books when I was in Japan. And I turned them over to one of my students at Portland State University. 
a young Japanese-American girl, who translated the book for me, and then I got the rights to publish his book in English. I wanted to find out, why is this the happiest company to work for? What are they doing so unusually different? Well, they're doing about a hundred things different, getting away with it, and they've never lost any money in 50 years. The focus of this company, Mr. Yamada says, the purpose of my company is that everybody's going to be happy. Yes, I want to make money. That's true. But my focus is happy people. I feel if the people are happy, then I'm going to make a lot of money. 50 years, not only that they didn't lose any money, they've made more money than any comparable company of their size in Japan. They have 850 people. Consistently, they're making more than anybody else. In fact, Mr. Yamada says that 97% of the companies in Japan don't make more than $500,000 a year. It's not a lot of money for a corporation when you have your ups and downs. The company has the longest paid vacation, the shortest working hours in Japan, the longest paid vacation. In Christmas, they get three weeks off, as an example. The shortest working hours. Well, normally 40 hours a week is the shortest working hours. So Mr. Yamada says, no, we'll go, um, we'll, we'll go less than that. So they're 37 and a half hours a week instead of 40, or they're 35, I'm not exactly sure, but it's a shorting working hours for a manufacturing company. He wants to differentiate. He wants to be different. Now, this is one of the most powerful concepts of self-reliance of this company. This is amazing. I know of no American company that does this. Mr. Yamada says to all of the poor people in the company, no ho renso. Write this down, no ho renso. Ho means no reporting. What Yamada says, if you want to do something, do it. Don't ask me for permission. Don't go to your boss to ask for permission. You do it. And if you make a mistake, believe it or not, I'll give you $6 for every mistake you make because you learn from your mistakes. Hopefully, they're not going to be big ones. But I'll give you $6, but never repeat that mistake. <laughs> Imagine. I teach things like the Harada method. People love it. They go, they listen to me at a seminar or a, or a conference, and they go back all excited, and they say to their boss, let's do the Harada method. And the boss says what? Well, you know, we, it's not in the budget. Uh, we really don't have time for something new. What if it doesn't go right here? I think at least 95% of the time, your boss is going to put the, the qualms on it. It's going to say no. If you took your boss with you to the workshop, then you got a chance of doing something. The next thing Yamada says is, I don't even want you to communicate. I don't want you to talk to anything about it. If you think this is right for you in your work, then do it. When I said this to a friend of mine, I won't mention his name, he, he teaches team concepts, and he got all excited, though. What do you mean you don't communicate? You've got to talk to your team. What if you do something that affects somebody else? Yamada says, well, it might affect somebody else. And you learn from it, and you correct it. It would affect somebody else. 
then you can change what you did so it's done correctly. You know? But I don't want to hold you back. I don't want to hold a company back. If you have to report, if you have to ask, communicate, or consult, that's going to take time and you're going to be wasting time. And we're learning in the lean community something called just-in-time. In fact, I found an article yesterday. I have to go study it again because Toyota is changing their production system from just-in-time to right now. It's a new, powerful concept that I have to learn more about. I want you to think about this. No Horenzo, you're fully self-reliant. You're fully trusted. No overtime. Yamada says the following. No, if you want to work overtime, he says, okay, but you've got to pay the electricity. He's really saying, you get your work done. So he wants you to be self-reliant. He also wants you to work hard. Of course, everybody works hard in this company. Another great key out of these hundreds is you must differentiate. I want you to think about that. Harada says, we don't do what others do. He started, they're electrical equipment suppliers, so they started with a, with a switch box. This is the box that goes into the wall. The electrician puts the cable into the box, and then he puts the switches on the other end. And normally this box has two holes. One hole is for the cable, and one hole is for the switches, wires to go in. Well, you might have put four holes. This was normally painted gray. Yamada does it in red and yellow and green. In fact, only three switch boxes, three variations, make any money. So competition only makes three. Mirai makes 80. He says, we lose money on 77. I don't care because we have 90% of the market. We've sold 16 million switch boxes because the electricians are loyal to us. And we can even charge more money for our boxes because they have more features for the electrician and they appreciate us. Another amazing thing about the company is every five years, all 850 employees goes on an overseas trip. This year, they all went to Italy. Everybody in the company went to Italy on a vacation. Every five years, the employees decide where they want to go, and they plan it. They, because they're self-reliant, they do everything. They do all the planning. What an amazing company. And all of your companies can be like this. They get around 10,000 implemented ideas per year per employee. They have a suggestion system. This is the quick and easy Kaizen system. This is what I used to do for the first, after I sold productivity, I wrote the book called Idea Generator, and I went out and taught the world the Japanese system, quick and easy Kaizen. And Mark Rabin and Joe Schwartz became my two best students, and they wrote this wonderful book on healthcare Kaizen. I'm sure you'll all appreciate it to learn how you can do it in your company because it's not complicated. You just ask your people for ideas and they'll do it. I mentioned you get paid $6 for every mistake that you make. It's hard to believe, but it works. Yamada says, look, what kind of mistakes are people going to be? What do I have to worry about? They're not going to bankrupt the company. You know what I mean? They're not going to destroy the company. And yes, maybe it'll cost me $100,000, but it's worth it. I don't want to take the initiative away from people to be creative. And this small company with 850 people 
has almost as much patents as Sony does with, I don't know, 200,000 people. As a small company, they have more patents than anybody else because everybody is asked to differentiate. Don't copy what other people are doing. He says, even if you can make money, I don't want to do it. I want us to be, be, to be a, a, original in what we do. Another thing, look at this. Managers are prohibited from giving orders to subordinates. The role of a manager is what? The role of a manager is to develop people to be self-reliant. The role of the manager is to be a coach, is to get the best team out there because the players don't do the work. The players make the money, not the manager. But the manager thinks that they're indispensable and people are dispensable. It's not true. The manager is there to develop you to your maximum capability. A, max, a manager should be a coach. And if you fail, the supervisor says, good job. Imagine, you failed. You, you're not scolded. The manager, supervisor says, at least you tried. I was at Toyota walking along the Lexus factory. I've been to over 200 and close to 300 factories in Japan. No, 350 factories in Japan over these last number of years. And I'm, I'm at Lexus, and I see a worker moving an engine, very large engine for the Lexus car. I think it was an SUV. And he has these mechanical controls as the engine is moving overhead. Next to him is his supervisor. And somehow, the worker tripped, clicked the wrong button, and the engine comes smashing down smashing down and the parts get scattered and the oil gets scattered all over the place and the supervisor did not scold didn't scold he didn't pat him on the back the way it said here good job you destroyed the engine but the concept is we don't scold people they have to learn from their mistakes they have to learn what dr shingo taught us is pokeyoke is find a way that it can't happen instead of trying to find blame. How to develop personal plans to support continuous improvement. Continuous improvement will come from you as you develop your skill, as you become self-reliant. And what does it mean to you? What does self-reliance really mean to you? So I thank you. Let's break down, see what kind of questions you have. Um, Great. Of me. Okay. Well, Norman, yeah, thank you for presenting. And here is uh, contact information. Uh, Norman, uh, not just his email address. Uh, Norman's on Twitter. Norman, it seems like you enjoy using Twitter. Yes. At uh, uh, nbodak. Um, his website is pcspress.com. And uh, again, as Norman mentioned, we'll be sending out um, the different self-assessments and tools. So uh, thank you. Norman for doing that. Um, so we've got about, uh, gosh, 10, 15 minutes for questions. Um, Norman, let's see, here's a question about um, a really interesting idea of uh, paying people for mistakes and trying to learn from mistakes. Do they have a formal way of documenting these mistakes the way they might have a way of documenting Kaizen's? Can you talk more about that? That's a very good question. I, it's, it's, I just finished the book 
fact, I just got the cover of the new book from my artist. Uh, they, he doesn't specifically address that, but they do have this quick and easy Kaizen system so that when they do make a mistake, they're encouraged immediately to come up with an idea so that the mistake doesn't happen again. That's the quick and easy Kaizen system. You make a mistake or you have an improvement idea, and if you do, then you write it down. So these 10,000 ideas at Mirai, they're all written down. When a person detects a problem, they write down the problem. If they get the solution, they'll write down the solution, and then they go ahead and implement it. Now, in Mirai, they don't even have to ask their boss to go ahead and do that. The way I teach it, and I think Mark teaches it, we recommend in the American system, you go to your supervisor, you say, this is my problem, and this is my solution, and then the supervisor blesses you <laughs> and says, go ahead and do it. Mirai, Miyamata says, no, you don't need that blessing. I trust you. I want you to learn from your mistakes. I want you to be totally self-reliant. I want us to be a really great company with great people. And they all have lifetime employment, by the way. Nobody has to worry. Like in America, you make a mistake where you're worried. Even if you don't make a mistake, you're worried about getting fired. <laughs> you don't have to do anything wrong, and, and next week your, your job is in China. But I don't want to get too political at this moment. <laughs> Go ahead. Any well, other questions, Mark? Yeah, well, I was just going to react to what you said, Norman, in terms of, you know, kind of in an American system. Uh, you know, what Joe and I teach is that, you know, when you have an idea, whether you, you write it down or, you know, Kinex's customers will enter that into the system, that there's some discussion. And that discussion might be with the supervisor. It might be with um, a colleague. And, and I think what I've seen, and this is true at, at Joe, you know, the health system Joe Schwartz works at, and I've seen other organizations where they, you know, at first there might not be a lot of trust. And the supervisors ask people to come and talk to them. But then over time, you know, that, that trust builds in both directions and you know, at a lot of the departments at, at Joe's health system, it's what you described, Norman, where, where people fix things and then they tell the supervisor. And they, they tell the supervisor not so much for approval, but for, you know, for recognition and to try to help spread those ideas um, to other people, um, which I, I think it's, it's good to see how that culture evolves. Yeah, I mean, I, this, this Mirai is so far ahead, but I think it is a future that we must be, if we're going to keep the integrity of our society here. We were the richest country in the world, you know, and it's changing so fast. We have to build our skills and capabilities. Just imagine I'm a great, you know, I had a heart attack a couple of years ago, and I went to the hospital, and I was very lucky that it was a very good doctor, and the doctor went in, it was a woman, and she went in and put a stint into my artery. In fact, I went back a couple of weeks later, put two more stints in me. So I'm really artificial. <laughs> when she put the stints in, she didn't have to ask anybody else. She didn't have to get anybody else's approval. That means she knew what to do. That's what we want with everybody, to reach that level of capability that they're building up their skills no matter what they do. They're running a lathe. Do you know what I mean? They are becoming the master. And if they're becoming a master, then the whole company benefits in the process. It doesn't mean 
that you don't talk to other people. We always go to the extreme. Mm -hmm. So Mr. Yamada, you know, of course, he runs the company. He wants to know what's going on in the company, but he's not going to dictate. He says, the only way I know what's going on in the company, I have to become a spy. <laughs> I, go, <laughs> I go and spy in the company and try to see what's happening. He says, when they open up a new sales office, the only way he knows he gets a business card from the new manager of that office because he doesn't approve it. But if the manager opens up the office and it doesn't work and he makes a mistake, boy, that manager is no longer a manager. But he doesn't get fired. Do you know? It's, a, it's an amazing concept. It's unfortunate to me that Japanese companies, almost every Japanese company had that system of lifetime employment, and now they're changing it. They're going back where a good percentage of the employees in Japan are now part-time. Any other question, Mark? Thank yeah. you. Yeah, Norman. Um, so, uh, Norman, thanks for um, the interesting presentation. Uh, Self-reliance sounds great, but at work, you know, we're all part of a system. What happens if my individual excellence isn't enough to really help improve the organization? How how do you recommend this idea of becoming excellent, fitting in with what organizations are doing with Lean or things that they do to become excellent? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, your role is very important. You're there, you pay to do a job. I'm just saying you should be the best at what you do and have confidence in yourself that it is the best and recognize that you will make mistakes. Of course, you're part of a system and the system should flow and flow properly. But remember what I said, if you, if you did something and it wasn't right, you can always correct it. It's better to have you self-reliant and creative than to have the existing system the way we have now. Look what a large company does. Um, in order for them to be innovative, 90% of them go out and buy another company. They're not innovative internally. Apple maybe is, maybe Google is. So few companies are really innovative. They stifle innovation. They're so afraid. I have a good friend, good friend works for a big company. The boss comes over to him and says, if you ever go around me to my boss, you're fired. <laughs> I mean, that's the atmosphere that we have to live in in American corporations. You know, I believe in a democracy. I just saw a wonderful program yesterday on what's called Link TV. I believe in a democracy. But we don't live in a democracy. You go to work, it's a, not a democracy. Nobody asked for your vote. I wish we could change it. I wish we could change the very nature of the way our corporations work in the world. Mm -hmm. Anyway, let's, I don't want to go too political. No, that's right. Here's, here's another. My next webinar. Yeah. Uh, here, here's another question, maybe is, is kind of along the same lines. The, this Harada method reminds me of what organizations do with Hoshin Conry or strategy deployment, where you set a goal and then identify the things that you need to do to accomplish the goal. What, what are your thoughts on some of those connections? Are these just coincidentally similar, or, or what, what are your thoughts? It's true. You know, Hoshin Conry, it's, it's a, I take a little bit of credit. I found Hoshin Conry in Japan. I found Mr. Akao, <clears throat> and I published his book in English. And... He's right, Ocean Conry, but it's normally a group going towards a target. 
the Harada method is more focused on you becoming a superstar, you picking a goal yourself, and you attaining your goal. And so the Harada method is just a structure for you to attain your goals. So there is a lot of similarities between the Hoshinkanri system and the Harada method, but Harada has gone so much further in helping coach and develop people than Hoshin, you know, Hoshin does. But there are similarities. Very good question. Okay, and here, here's another kind of more detailed question about the Harada method. Um, what if you don't know 64 different tasks or if you have the wrong tasks to your goal, um, what, what do people do? Yeah, well, I have found, of course, when people do this, the average person does it in 33 minutes. Some people take an hour. And some people might not come up with 63, and some people might come with 86. That's okay. You know, you'll come up, most you can. I just found that when I do this in class, and I start to teach people, and they start to relax in the class, uh, as we go through the process, that they can come up with close to 64. Always happens. You put the wrong one in. Well, you, it's like anything in life. You make a mistake, then you correct it, and you put a new one in, mm. you know. You're not locked into the original 64. You're going to learn as you do every every day. In fact, if you did the system well every month or every couple of months, you'd redo the 64 to make sure that you're on target. You, you want to be the best. And Harada has another thing that I like. He says, never give up. Once you set your target, never give up. And he got 13 gold medals. <laughs> and the school became number one. Back in 1981, and it's been number one for the last 14 years. So even after Harada left, it's funny because he was the track and field goal, and then the English teacher took over track and field. <laughs> yeah. She took over track and field, Akaiko Mirimoto. She's now working for Harada and his company. But for three years, she took over track and field, and they still were number one <laughs> under her guidance, and she was not a track and field coach at all. Right. We've got uh, two more questions here we might have time for. One, um, I think you, you touched on this a bit, but maybe you can expand on this. How does Mirai transfer knowledge about ideas and learnings from mistake and solutions? I, I guess how do they transfer those to other people, to other departments? Well, of course they talk to each other. Mm -hmm. The idea of no communication is that when you want to do something... Whoops. Excuse me. That's right. How are you? Philip, I'll call you back in a few minutes. Sorry about that. Um, I don't know how to turn the phone we'll, we'll, we'll pay you $6 for that mistake, Norm. <laughs> yeah, thank you. I don't know how to turn the phone off. I apologize. Well, that's something, but that, there, there's a Kaizen opportunity, but that's all yeah. right. Go ahead. Sorry. But uh, let's see, where were we? The uh, Restate that quickly. So it's about, yeah, how do they share um, their, their improvements yeah, from mistakes? because I'm saying the idea is this. You want to make the decisions that relate to your work that you feel competent doing. If you're missing information, then... Ask somebody, or if you want to, you want to learn. From, of course, you can share the success with people. It doesn't mean you don't talk and no communication. But we want to break this structure of subservience. We want to break this structure that the boss is the boss, and the boss knows what to do, and you got to follow the boss. And we all live under that terror. 
don't know about you, Mark, when you're independent, but when I worked for a man, even though I was president of the company, I lived under terror. Mm -hmm. It only changed when I was smart enough to get a five-year contract. Then, I, then he could fire me, and he did. Two years later, he fired me, but he had to pay me for the next three <laughs> years not to work. So it wasn't so bad. <laughs> okay, um, maybe a final question here real quickly. Um, do you know anyone who's used the Harada method in hospitals, and, and do you know what sort of goals they might have set? Well, in Japan, it's been everywhere. And if I can get this Mark Raven to take this course, I've been <laughs> twisting his arm for quite a while now, to come here and take this workshop of June 15th, if you can squeeze it in, then Mark is exceptionally competent to go into hospitals. I've been working with uh, uh, Oregon Health Science University, and I did train their supervisor of the internal medicine group, and hopefully she loved it, really loved it, and hopefully she'll begin the process this year with the Harada method. It doesn't matter what the organization is. I mean, look. The medical field, 200,000 people die every year from medical error. 200,000 mm -hmm. people die of medical error. If we have the Harada system, boy, that would drop enormously, enormously as people build their skills and capabilities. I mean, one thing, you know, 20 some odd years ago, I saw a great doctor. He, he took out my kidney and he had a checklist came to my bedside at the end of the second day and he said, uh, let's look at the checklist. It says, remove the suture. And he removed the suture. This is the greatest, mm -hmm. believe me, a professor in charge of urology at New York University, a great doctor using a checklist. Yeah. If every doctor in America used a checklist, we would cut that, that 200,000 down to maybe 50,000 or less to address this medical system. Yeah, the Harada method would work wonderful. I hope we can get people. Come to my June 15th uh, workshop. I'll give you a special deal, and let's bring it into the hospital community. Mark, I thank you and Kai Nexus for having me today. I thank everybody for being here. I hope you enjoyed it. I enjoyed doing it. Norman, thank you so much, and uh, I will pass information about um, all of this along to uh, people in the follow-up. and. I want to thank everyone for attending on behalf of the whole team at Kinexus. This is Mark Rabin uh, thanking you and uh, saying farewell. Again, thanks for listening to our podcast. For more information about how to subscribe or links to all episodes, you can go to kinexus.com slash podcast.